Well, you take out your Bibles, and will you go to Luke chapter 10, pull out your outline, and follow along with me. I'm going to take you today to the foundational passage of Scripture on which this church is built. If you were to ask, why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Why are we dreaming big? Why are we compelled to go? And why are we compelled to do all these things? And why sacrifice? I'm going to answer that question today by reading what Jesus would call the greatest commandment. And it's found in Luke chapter 10, and it's on the screen, and you can read it with me. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what do I need to do to go to heaven? What must I do to gain eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said, Well, you tell me. What's the law say? You know it. You know what it says. And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God. He knew that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind. And then he grabbed a verse from Deuteronomy and he says, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you got it right. Exactly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? The lawyer wanted to justify himself and asked, well, who is my neighbor? I want to talk to you today on the subject, love has no loopholes. (laughs) Love has no loopholes. Can I pray for you one more time? Now, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I need you to fill my heart. Fill me with the love that you have for the people here today. And help us to hear your voice. In a powerful way, move us to your agenda. One more time, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know I wasn't raised here in this country, so I always always see life through a little bit of a different lens. I was raised in the Caribbean by my mom and dad, who are here today, missionaries. And um, I grew up in a a different environment than here. So the church I grew up in, an all-black, tambourine-beating, you know, Pentecostal, singing, shouting kind of church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And that's how I grew up. That was my heritage. That was my distinctive. Yet, during the week, Monday through Friday, I went to school with all the other children of all the other missionaries from all the different denominations and different backgrounds and and heritages, and we all went to school together. And you, you know what? We all got along. We got along. We played together, played on the same sports teams, went to school. In fact, my parents were the kind of people that would often have people in our home. Almost at every meal, there's somebody at our table from our immediate sphere, one of our friends or parents, and they would give and they would serve and they would pour into the lives of everyone because the philosophy that I was raised under, the priority was that people matter, that people are important, that that, that if you say that you love God and then you're my brother and you're my sister, Christ is your Lord, then how can I help you? And how can you help me? And we are on the same team. When you grow up in a foreign country where you are the minority, you realize very quickly you don't have the luxury to divide, that we're all that we have. And so I grew up in that environment with a priority on mission. We're here together to serve the people of this nation, how can we serve each other and do it better? Raised with the filter, with a priority that said, you know, we're here for you and you're here for me. A principle that put people over our principles, over our distinctives. Now, at times, we would encounter Christians from a different 
Actually, the background or the worldview was so shockingly different that at times it made no sense. Sincere believers, don't misunderstand, sincerely loving God, but raised in the worldview that, said, that says this, I can only fellowship with you if you agree to my principles. We can only, the criteria for connection means that you must think as I do, or you must believe like I do, that, that the orthodoxy of your theology meets my standard of criteria, and then we can communicate, and then we can talk. So not necessarily haters, right? Because they don't know any better. This is the worldview, the sincere worldview of Christians that have been taught that principle uh, is above people. That you don't meet our standards, and so, you know, we will not fellowship with you. Now, that was so shockingly different. And at times, not haters, but the actions would appear or feel hateful. Like the time I've told you before, where my father was publicly attacked by another Christian who felt that the standards of our theology did not meet his, and so he publicly called on people to separate themselves from us and to separate because we didn't meet the standard of criteria. The principles that we believe take priority over people. So my dad just ignored him. My dad's sitting over here. If you guys need to meet my dad, he is a great man of God, and he loves people, and uh, my mom... And, uh, and he just ignored it. They went about their work. They didn't let it bother them too much. Until one day this great hurricane came. Hurricane David devastated that island. And you know what? I learned a lesson I'll never forget. Because the day after we cleaned up our mess, he grabbed me, put me in the car, and we drove the truck. And we drove over to the home of this man. That was the first stop. And there we would spend the next two days picking up debris and putting things back in order, my dad building and fixing things on the house so that they could live there again. And on the third day, the man comes to our house with tears in his eyes, and he says, why would you do this? After all that I've done to you, after all of this judgment and all of this, why would you do this for me? And I saw the principle, and I saw the priority. <laughs> and I watched him put his hand on his shoulder and say, well, I love you, and we're brothers. And what we believe could divide us, but in whom we believe should unite us. And that's a principle, and that is a priority. You don't have to see eye to eye to walk shoulder to shoulder. As followers of Jesus become more and more the minority in this nation, and as the days become darker and the world becomes more broken, can we afford division? Because multiplication requires a focus on priorities. Now, can we find the important things to connect on? That's my question today. Can we agree on what's really important? Or do we say, no, we have to meet our standards of orthodoxy, and then we will decide whether or not we can be friends? Now, this is nothing new. This has been around forever. This is all the way through the scriptures. It's all the way through history. Some of the most, think of all of the wars that have been fought by religious people over religion and their view of the principles. That's what's going on in this story that we've read today. The lawyer does not come to ask a question, uh, a legitimate question, like I want to know how to get to heaven. No, no, that's not the question. The question comes as a test of, his, of Jesus's theology. The lawyer comes, everybody say, uh-oh, here comes the lawyer. 
and the lawyer is coming to see our, you know, to drill him on what he believes. What do you say is the most important commandment? Now, Jesus just is so cool. He doesn't even bite. He just, you know what it is. You tell me. What do you say is the most important thing? He doesn't have to read it. He has memorized the Torah, and he knows all 613 of the laws, and he immediately does a summary and says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He pulls that from Deuteronomy, and uh, that's what it is. And Jesus says, you're right. You've spoken well. You've said the right things. Everything can be summarized in these two commands. In fact, the other gospels reads a little differently. Jesus actually says, these two are the greatest of all the commandments. So in other words, he says, these two things become the priority. These two encapsulate all of the other commands. So you gotta get these two right. If you get these two right, you get credit for the whole test. So let's say that you're having the midterms this week, some of where are my students at, and you're having your midterms, and there are 613 questions on the test, but they say, if you get the first two right, we'll give you credit for the whole test. How awesome would that be? How good would that be? Well, that's what, this, that's what Jesus is saying. There are a couple of priority questions that, not that the others aren't important, but if you get these right, it encapsulates everything else. You get these two right, you're going to pass the whole test. So hit your neighbor and tell them, got to get these two right. These are the two you got to get right, okay? What are they? The two top priorities to Jesus, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Wait, 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 no, 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 come on. Now here, just try to think with me for a minute and engage the brain at this, this Sunday morning with me. Because we would just slip into church mode here and just go, I've heard that before, but I want you to think what he said. Love, that's the priority. Love the Lord your, wait, wait, wait. What about all the rules? What about the criteria? What about the sacrifices? What about what you can wear and what you shouldn't wear? Uh, what, what about what day you can worship and what you can't? What about the rules about what you can eat and what, what days you should fast? And what about all of this? Other? Since when did love become so important? Since when did love supersede all of the other criteria? And since when could love be commanded? Did anybody ever teach you that? Because that's what it says. It says Jesus doesn't even beat around the bush. Love the Lord your God. I mean, it's a command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. I wish I could do that. I wish I could just command people to love me. Try that at your work tomorrow. I command you to love me. Try this with your wife. I command you to love me. <laughs> Try that with your husband. Try that with your kids. I command you. Wouldn't that just fix some things if you could just do that and they would have, you know, try that on your, that one brother, you know? <laughs> I command you. But Jesus gives this incredible command. Love the Lord your God with all, not part of it. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, he says, the priority is you love me. What? The first most important thing to God of all of that is that you love him? Lord, I made a mistake. I didn't, I didn't get home before sundown on the Sabbath. Love me. That's the most important thing. 
Lord, I've made mistakes. I, I have a weakness. I keep falling into this sin. Lord, I've, I, I struggle. Lord, I've, I've made, I've, I messed up. Love me. Don't focus on what's wrong. Love me. What? I want you to stop focusing on what you got wrong and just focus on loving me with all your heart and all your soul and with all your, if you do that, if you would just master loving me with your all, do you realize I wouldn't need to bind you up with rules and, and legislate uh, your behavior? I wouldn't have to force you to obey. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I'm not chasing you around, God. Stop making me the police officer that is chasing you around trying to arrest you every time you do something wrong. God's saying, that's not my priority. In a world of thou shalt nots, here comes a thou shall which supersedes everything else. That's incredible. Love me, he says. You focus on that then I don't have to force you to obey. You'll want to obey. You will love me. You'll obey me and you'll do what's right just because it comes naturally out of your heart. It'll naturally, the fruit of the Spirit will blow up out of your life and it will change the way that you behave. I don't have to force you or stop you or check your history or sneak around and figure out what you're doing on Friday night. I don't have to. I'm messing with your head today. Let the priority be love me with everything with your all. What a big command that is. Wow. What a big command. Love me with everything, with your all, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all give everything. I challenge you to love me with 100% love. Have you ever in your whole life loved anyone, anything, including God, with your all? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all of your strength, before you die, I wonder what it would be like to know what it's like to give everything and to give all of yourself. Wow. Can you imagine what we would discover if we could do that? This is the command. And I know all you folks that go to church say, oh, I love God. I love him with all my heart. I love him with all my... Have you ever loved him with your all. Oh, yes, I have. Well, then we just start talking about, you know, because that's the command, right? Give all, give everything. So we start talking about the offering and people just shrivel right up. Wait a second. Lord, I love you. I'll give you everything. You wouldn't get... <laughs> I see people go and spend more, you know, they'll argue about all this than go spend more at lunch without batting an eye. God, I'll give you everything. You wouldn't give a McNugget at midnight. <laughs> you don't even, it's just all the talk. Love me, he says, with everything. Love, love me with your all, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And then he gives the second priority. Write this one down. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So I don't have to say, thou shalt not steal. Because if you love me like you love yourself, you wouldn't even dream of stealing from me because you love me as you love you. Imagine how your personal relationships would change if you love the people in your life like you love you. <laughs> if you love the people, if, if you gave the forgiveness you want. Isn't it funny how people who need forgiveness have such a hard time giving it sometimes? Isn't it funny how people want you to understand all their quirks, but they have no time to understand yours? Isn't it funny how the people who want tolerance are sometimes the least tolerant of you? We always want to get more than what we give. 
And so this command comes to obliterate selfishness at the center of our lives. Because you can't be selfish and love your neighbor as yourself. I know a little bit about this. I've got two teenagers, and I've got a son who's 20, about to be 21. So to all the parents with younger children, I have something to say. I can tell you what normal is for teenagers. I know. I'm living it. There's a period of your teenager's life where they almost cannot help but be selfish. It's normal. It's not even, you should just come to the acceptance of that and just save yourself some grief because it's totally normal. They're at a stage in life where they are trying to separate from childhood, separate from mom and dad, and they're trying to figure out who they are and what they're gonna do and what their life is all about. And so life is all about them for that little period. It's gotta, you know, me, 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 I, I, I. I gotta be me, I gotta be me. Stop trying to tell me what to do. I just try to find myself. You know, all that. Yeah. (laughs) It's normal. It's just part of being a teenager. So relax. The problem is, is that maturity is supposed to make me less selfish. That you're supposed to grow out of that phase. And there are some people who are stuck still in the middle of their life in an adolescent moment. Self, they have not ever yet learned how to love one thing, one person, anybody close to the way they love themselves. So Jesus says, here's the two top priorities, the two priorities of life. This is what you're going to use to determine who gets in. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the two priorities. What are are your priorities? How do you decide who gets in? What's the core values of how you determine if, you, uh, uh, you know, association and friendship and love? Is it about how much money a person makes? If they're a Republican? If they're a Democrat? Who'd you vote for in the last election? How are you baptized? What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? Oh, I'm messing right in where you live today. I'm just coming right in. Just get ready. Did he just say Democrat? We examine people by our priorities. So I'm asking you, where are your priorities? What are they? How do you determine, you know, who is the person that you're going to love? Because Jesus has two for you. He commands you. He says, I command you to love God, love me with all my heart, all your heart, all your soul, strength, and your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And he commands you to do it, which is a good thing because if he commands me to do it, it means I can do it. It would not be fair for him to command me to do something that I cannot do. And you know what? You do it all the time for a paycheck at work. So you'll make yourself, you'll, you'll tolerate a lot. You, you will behave in a loving way. You, that means that love is controllable. Yes, it is. Love is controllable. You can decide. You may not feel loving feelings in the moment, but you can choose You can choose to love, and that's what he's saying. He commands me to do something, and if he commands me to do it, it must be in my power to accomplish it. If I can't do it, he's not going to ask me to do it. You ever ever wanted something that just couldn't be done? Like when I was four, my mom will tell you, I was four years old, and I'm crying my eyes out one day, and I'm saying, it's not fair. When am I going to turn black, mom? When am I going to (laughs) be? I was the only one. So something was wrong, and this needed to be fixed today. And you know what? It, no matter, it just didn't work. I guess by this point, it is still a total job. I am the same. 
So there's some things that can't be done, but there are some things that can. And he says, I command you to love. It's, it is not impossible. I command you to love God with all. And so everything that's going on in your life, God is trying to teach you this, that you're going to have to broaden your ability to love people. Amen. So he's teaching you. And he's arranging circumstances. He's putting you in situations that are difficult to get you onto his agenda for the sole purpose of giving you a heart like his, that you will love the Lord your God with your all, with everything, that you'll know what it's like to give everything. And you see, this command indicts the lawyer, and it should indict you and me, because the lawyer immediately realizes that this is not going the way that I thought, because he has never in his life loved with his all. He may know all 613 of the law, but he has not loved the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his strength, and all of his mind. How do I know that? Because he's looking for a loophole. And any time you're looking for a loophole, it's because you're guilty and you're looking for a way out. So he says, who is my neighbor? And I love it. Jesus is so cool, he doesn't even answer him. He just goes, well, a certain man. And he just starts into this story because he's not even going to argue. He's just going to tell a story. And he talks about a certain man was on his way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So you know immediately this is a Jew. And he's going somewhere he shouldn't be going. Have you ever been like that in your life? And you knew you shouldn't be on that road, but you went anyway. And then you acted surprised when the bandits came and beat on you. Like that was a big surprise. You knew, you're, not supposed to, you're not supposed to go in that direction. But you went and you ignored the rules and you went your way. And this guy gets beat up, attacked, stripped, left for dead, bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. And Jesus begins to bring some people by to see the man who's dying. He brings the first person, he says in the story, a priest came by. This is your pastor. This is the people who are... These are the people who are the epitome of your faith. The people who you say, now that's a respectable man of God. And he comes to walk by, and in Jesus' story, this is a man the lawyer would respect. The man just crosses over to the other side, walks on by, just withdraws. Are you ever shocked by the people who are not there in your life at certain times? You thought, for sure, they're gonna be with me through thick and thin to the very end, and the moment the thing went down, they don't even know you? That's what this was. I don't know who that is, and he kept right on walking. First shock. Second shock is that the Levite, he brings a Levite by. The Levites are like your holy friends, your church friends, the people that serve with you, that sing in the choir, that are at church, and they can give you all of the right spiritual answers. And there you are, bleeding and dying by the road, and they say, Hey, if you need anything, call me. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm bleeding, dying here on the road. I know, I'm praying for you. If you need anything, you call me. Walked on by. I'm praying. I'll put you on the list down at the church. If you need anything. If I need anything. So by this point, Jesus is setting up the Lord, because then he says, and then a certain Samaritan. You see, there's no such thing in the, in the lawyer's mind as a good Samaritan. Doesn't exist, not even in his vocabulary. I mean, the Jews hated the Samaritans. I mean, they were the people that we were prejudiced against. That we don't, in fact, when they wanted to insult Jesus one time, the lawyers and Pharisees called Jesus, they said, you Samaritan. You know, they, it was a put down. The woman at the well who was from a Samaritan village, when she encounters Jesus and Jesus starts to talk to her, first thing she says, what are you doing talking to me? You know your people have nothing to do with us. 
So there is no such thing as a good Samaritan, but Jesus is, the, is setting it up. And he says, a certain Samaritan came walking on by. And as he journeyed, came to where he was, he saw him and he had compassion. See, isn't it incredible how we can limit love to likeness? You gotta be like me for me to love you. And here's a guy who says, you're not like me at all, but I choose to love you. You've hated me, but I love you anyway. You're prejudiced against me, but I choose to be compassionate towards you. You don't understand me at all, but I love you. And so he went to him and he bandaged up his wounds, put oil and wine, and right there is the clue that Jesus is putting himself in his own story. That's what Jesus would do. He came into the, into the world, John's gospel said, full of grace and truth. Just the amount of, you know, the wine is there to cleanse the wound and sometimes truth stings. But so much love to soothe that wound and to bandage it up. That's Jesus in his own story who comes in such a sacrificial, generous way, ready to give anything. Whatever my agenda was, whatever I was on this road for, it's no longer my priority. You are my priority. And he bandages him up, puts him on his own animal, takes him to the inn where he nurses him through the night and cares for him and then leaves money, whatever, whatever you're going to require, whatever he needs. And when I come back, just put it to my account. I'll pay. Put it to my account. This is Jesus in his own story. So you see, religion just often will walk by in judgment or withdrawal or selfishly preoccupied. Whereas when Jesus walks into the situation, when you and I as his representative are supposed to walk in, we're supposed to show up with mercy and compassion and sacrificial generosity because it's gonna cost us something to love. And I know that I'm right about this because we're all looking for loopholes. And everybody's looking for the way out because we fully understand there is a cost to this thing called love. That's what the loophole is all about. And what God is saying to you and me, that if we're going to be like him, then we're going to have to learn how to love like him. You have to love people that don't think like you. You have to love people that don't act like you, that don't look like you, that don't vote like you, who don't have the, the income that you have, who don't dress like you. You're going to have to take down the court system in your head where you judge people before you love them. You've got to be bigger than this because love has no loopholes, no racial loopholes, no religious loopholes, no social loopholes, no economic loopholes, no status loopholes. Love has no loopholes, but we want one so bad because I don't want to love like that. It's cost too much. And I know I'm right because Jesus even looked for a loophole because did he not go into that garden to pray and say, Lord, the cost is too much. If there is any way that you could remove this bitter cup of suffering from me, is there any way that this could pass? Because the cost is so high. Not once, not twice, three times. Lord, if it's possible for me to get out of this, I don't have to do this. But watch what he says. What did he say? At the end, he prays, not my will, but thine be done. That's what love looks like. It's not about what you want. It's not about your will. Love has no loopholes because in the end of the day, we say, God, not what I want, but what you want. And so what you realize in that moment was 
that it wasn't the nails that put Jesus on the cross. It was love that put Jesus on the cross. Love is what held him there. Love is what put him on the cross. Love for you and love for me and for all of his children. And he says, if you're going to be like me, you're going to have to learn how to love. You're going to have to broaden in your ability to love, to be like me. What I'm trying to say is, is that God so loved the world that he gave everything. Well, guess what? No different for me. He's going to ask me to give everything. And what I'm trying to say, it's not, you can't just love the people who live in your zip code. You can't love only the people who look like you. You can't, I know you've been taught to love people only who think the way that you think and believe like you believe and who, who will love when all the conditions are right. You know how you have brakes, and you can pull the brakes on? Don't take me too far. I know you have love in your heart, but it's got to be more than just for you and for the people who live in your house. The love that you have for your children, who would run away, and you would still love them, who you would draw lines in the sand and say, don't you walk out that door, who you would say, don't do this, and they would do it, and you would still go after them and love them anyway because they're your children. Well, guess what? God wants you to love somebody else's little boy, somebody else's little girl. There's a whole city of people, and they're all just somebody's little boy, somebody's little girl. Your husband, just somebody's little boy. Your wife, somebody's little girl. That person you can't abide right now, somebody's baby. And God's saying, I want you to love like I love. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Is he challenging you to love him more than you've ever loved him before? With, with your all, with everything? To love your neighbor as you love yourself? I don't know about you, but there's a selfish root still yet in me. I know what that looks like. I know what a selfish heart is. I know you do too, and I know I have better days, and I have some bad days, but there's a point in your life where you you come to a decision, and you say, Lord, I am willing to let you change my heart. I am willing to let you work inside of me. I'm selfish. Everybody in here, at one time in your life, you can say, I'm just in it for number one, and that's the default direction of your life, but there comes a moment where every person is going to have to decide, am I going to be God, and it's just going to be all about me? Or is there a God that I'm going to serve and I'm going to try to become like him and I let him change my life? That's what he's after and that's what he's after today. And that's why today is a day of consecration. It's a holy day, really. And this whole front of this auditorium is going to become an altar. I mean, it's the front of a room. But it can become an altar. An altar, an altar is where sacrifice happens. An altar is where uh, we say... Lord, I know this is going to cost me, but I give you everything. I give you me. And he's he's calling all of us, you and me, to step out of our comfort zone and to love people like we've never loved before. And at least to say honestly, Lord, I don't have that love in my heart today, but I want to have that love in my heart today. So, Lord, the first step is I give you me. In the moment, we're going to have a song of worship to the Lord together. And exactly what I described, I want us to stand, and we're gonna, I'm going to invite you just to come and fill in as much as you can in the aisles and in the, in the front. And even if you're in the balcony, you can just come to the front of the balcony, or maybe you can, just come, you can even work your way down here. I don't know how that's all going to work. Or you can stay where you are. 
but I just imagine a moment where you in your heart know that the best thing I could do is to give God my whole life and give everything. And some of you are far from God today. And what I've said to you is God's word to you. He's challenging your heart to give you your whole life. That could be today. And you could present your heart to him. Some of you brought a commitment and that's what these baskets are for. And you can put your commitment in the basket. The baskets are for the offering, but the altar's for everyone. The altar is for everybody today. And so as we begin to sing the simple prayer of your heart, Lord, make me an offering. God, use me. Cause me, cause my selfish heart to be dealt with today. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me love like you. So will you just stand with me? Let me pray for you as you stand. We're going to sing in just a moment. Father, I pray for every person here that right now as your spirit give them the courage to offer themselves to you and hold nothing back. And Lord, if you had to go in a garden and pray to have your heart changed, to say, not my will, but yours be done, there's no, I, we all need prayer and all of us will need to pray. So I pray, Lord, today there will be a spirit of freedom here that you will just allow us to come and give our lives to you today and let every person at the sound of my voice respond and say, Lord, I give you my heart today. Do something wonderful in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna be into sing. Just come now and let's just fill up this place and give our lives to him. Oh. Just come, just step out. Bring your wife, bring your husband, hold their hand, bring them together. Just come and make this a place of prayer. Let other people come. Bring your commitments to him. more people coming than I even imagined would step out today. If I could imagine your response, we might have somehow figured out more room. But God sees your heart. You don't have to come a step closer. He sees exactly what you meant. And I just want to lead us in a prayer together, right where you are. Will you just grab the hand of the person next to you or grab your wife's hand or your husband's hand and just let's pray together. Can you imagine what would happen if all of us in this room said, Lord, we will love like you? sacrificial, giving all of ourselves love? Can you imagine what would happen to this city and what would happen through us if somehow we could put aside prejudice and hate and division and come together and give our all for him? Can you imagine that? I want you to get a vision for that today. Holy Spirit, I give you my life. I, I lift up all of us today. We, we come before you. Your word says that you're searching for people whose hearts are fully committed to you. And Lord, that's what we're attempting today, to commit ourselves 
to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our minds, all of our strength, and to love our neighbor, to love our city as ourselves. And Lord, I know that there's such a root of selfishness in our lives. There's unforgiveness. And Lord, I pray that today you'd break the pattern of negative thinking in our lives. It's that pattern that holds us back, fear. Lord, I want to bring fears and insecurities and, and worries to you today. And just leave them here at this altar. Why don't you say it in your heart? God, I'm done looking for loopholes. Change my heart. Break the power of selfishness in my life. Give all of yourself to him. Now, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill us up. It's your power, it's your spirit that will enable us to be like you. May we never be the same from this day forward. I pray this in Jesus' name.